Today we are in the book of the Philippians. In that letter to the Philippians that Paul wrote, we are in chapter 3, so we are marching right on through this mighty book. And everybody, this is going to be a good day today because I want to talk about pandemics. That's right. You haven't heard anything about this, but you're now going to hear about the spiritual pandemic that is killing America. We have looked at so many things that are happening in our country with the election, with all of the unrest, all of the things happening that people are upset about. But there is a slow disease that is creeping into the church of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you've seen this kind of, I want, I want to use the word malaise, but then as, an, as a retired English teacher, I like those kind of big words that have absolutely no meaning in modern culture. Let's call it an apathy that has creeped into the church. The church has become apathetic in the year 2020. We are so concerned about keeping ourselves healthy physically we are neglecting our spiritual health. And there is a pandemic of apathy and compromise that is attacking the church in America today. Fortunately, right here in Philippians chapter 3, we have a three-step plan that Paul lays out for us to combat the spiritual pandemic of compromise. Aren't you excited now? That's why I kept the boys out here today. I want them to be part of it because they are the number one target of this spiritual compromise and apathy that is attacking our church today. So guys, everybody, open your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. We're talking about staying healthy in the time of a spiritual pandemic. First thing that you can do, and you've seen this in every TV commercial, every sign everywhere, you need to wash your hands of spiritual contamination. I got really cheesy with this one, y'all. I'm like pulling them right off the poster at work. Wash your hands of spiritual contamination. Philippians 3.1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a protection for you. Watch out for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Ooh, that sounds really gross the day after Halloween. Mutilate the flesh. What is he talking about? Now, don't forget, Christianity arose out of a Jewish Messiah. There are those who believe that Christianity supplanted or took the place of Judaism in the world. That is not so. The children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still the anointed children of God. And you should say amen to that because it is the truth. Even our Lord himself said that we are like wild grapes that have been fitted into the root of Israel. And it is from the root of Israel that we draw our life. It is from the promises of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It is from the prophets of Israel that we know the coming of the Messiah. Amen. Every Christmas, every Easter, we go through prophecy. Why? Because prophecy tells us who the Messiah will be, what the Messiah will do. If Jesus had not fulfilled those prophecies, we wouldn't have a Messiah today. So here's what we do. It says, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Those who were Jewish by birth had been circumcised as young men on the eighth day. That circumcision was an outward symbol of what had happened because they were born into the Jewish people. Now, if you met a Gentile man, it was easy to tell a Gentile man he was not circumcised. 
Abraham's men, when they came into faith, had to be circumcised as grown men, not as eight-day-old children. So circumcision was a big deal. But now something better has come along. Jesus Christ comes along and does something more than circumcising the flesh. That's why he says, be careful for the dogs, the evil workers, and those who would mutilate you. Some of the Jews who had faith in Christ were saying to young Gentile men, young Gentile men, it's good that you believe in Jesus, but you have to obey the Jewish law too. Now there is actually a church in America today, a very large church that believes that you must keep all the Jewish laws, all the Jewish dietary laws in order to be faithful. In fact, they only meet for services on Saturday. And that's because that's when the Jewish Sabbath is. So they believe you have to hold to the letter of the law in order for grace to be active in your life. But that's not what we're going to find today. You see, there are those who would drag you into religion. I hate religion. Understand me when I say this. I do not like religious people. Religious people fill their mouth with do, 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 don't, 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 never, never, never. They always fill their law, their minds with laws. Christ, Christ came, oh boy, it's going to be one of them days, I can tell already. Christ came to supplant the law, to take the place of the law, to fulfill it all so that we didn't have to live by every jot and tittle that was written down in the law. Jesus came to remove us from that. In fact, at that council of Jerusalem, they even said, hey, why are we putting on the Gentiles a burden even our fathers couldn't bear under, couldn't keep all those things? How many people have you met that say, what? You didn't go to church on Sunday? Then you're not saved. What? You don't tithe to your church? Then you're not saved. What? You don't go to every single service uh, three times a week? Then you're not saved. There are people out there like that. I've served in churches like that. If you didn't go to every single prayer meeting, they would suspect that you were not really a Christian. Because a Christian had to keep all these laws, all these meeting times. And that's not what this is about. Paul wants to set them free from an obligation to the law. He says, be careful of those who want to come back and add circumcision to the faith in Christ. For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of Christ, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. We don't put our confidence in our actions. My faith is not in my actions. My faith is in Jesus. Amen? Now think about that. If your faith is in what you do, then you can earn your salvation. If you can earn your salvation, Jesus didn't have to die. Amen? Now, don't get me wrong. You have to live up to what you've already attained. You need to live the life of a born-again believer. Jesus shows us how to live. We need to do that, but those are not the things that save us. We are saved by faith, then we are saved to fulfill all of these things that we are meant to do. Let's go on. Although I once had confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is of the law, blameless. Paul is telling you who he was. He was the pinnacle of Jewish religious thought. He says this, I have done all of the things that a Jew must do. I have done all of the law. I have kept it all. Therefore, under the law, I'm righteous. But that's not what I trust in. Thank you. 
Romans 2, 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter of the law. His praise is not from man, but from God. That says it all right there. So basically, the Jews have come in. They want the people who've come to faith in Christ to do what they do. Has anyone ever told you how to live your life since you became a Christian? Has anyone ever told you why, why Christians don't drink beer? That's an old Baptist standard right there. I don't drink and I don't chew and finish it up. I don't go with girls who do. I knew you knew that one. Here's the thing. We are not saved by what we do and don't do. We are saved by faith in Christ. And right now, people are getting very religious out there. They're trying to tell us, hey, if you want to be a Christian, you have to wear these kind of clothes, go to church on Sunday, go to Sunday school, go to Sunday night meeting, go to Wednesday night meeting. Some churches don't have Wednesday night services. We don't have a Wednesday night service. We used to have Sunday night, but there was no one to show up. So we come on Sunday morning to find out what God is doing, what God is saying. Now we look at this. Paul says, I've got everything I need according to the law, but I know the law is not enough. I know it's not enough to save me. It's not enough to bring me to Christ. That's important. And I want you guys to remember this. Your relationship to Christ is not based on how many times you come in that back door. It's not based on how many services you come to. It is based on your personal connection to Jesus Christ. Now, you can come in here on Sunday morning. You can sit in that pew. Heck, you can jump that pew. You can raise those hands. You can speak in tongues if you feel so led, although we would have a conversation afterwards. You can do that if you want to. But if you walk out of here and your day-to-day -day life does not reflect who you are in this church, then it's of no avail. It's an act. There's a lot of pastors who get up and they act super religious on Sunday. So I'm picking on pastors because then I'm not picking on you. They act super religious on Sunday. You catch them on Sunday night. They're watching the football game and they're drinking beer and they're, they're, they're chewing on chips. And the next day they're out there cussing the tax man. And the day after that, they're complaining about their wife. And the day after that, they're cheating somebody by selling something for twice his normal price. So here you go. Who is the real Christian? He says right here, it is not the one who on the outside looks right. It's the one who is right on the inside. I was stunned this week. There's a lady here who actually had 12 plastic surgeries in one day. You know why she had 12 plastic surgeries in one day? She wanted to look like Kamala Harris. She said, I, I idolize Kamala Harris. She is the ultimate woman. I want to look like her. <coughs> 12 plastic surgeries in one day to look like a politician. Why? Even if you looked exactly like her on the outside, it's who she is on the inside that makes her an outstanding woman. Amen? Amen. It's who you are in here that makes you so unique and so special. The outside changes. When you were 18, you were young and thin and attractive and muscular and powerful. And now that you're somewhere way past that, not so much anymore. But inside, you're still the same person. 
you're still that same individual that you were. Amen. These guys right here, they think we're all living fossils. They think that we're all dinosaurs. And they're thinking, I will never live that long. And if I do, I'll look better than that. No, you won't. I guarantee it. When you get to this age in life, it catches up to you. It really does. So here's the thing. This woman changed herself on the outside hundreds of thousands of dollars to look like somebody on the outside, but on the inside, she's still the same person. That doesn't make any sense to me. It also doesn't make sense to come to church and act one way and go home and be a different person. Be someone that doesn't even resemble the person you were in church. You got to wash your hands of spiritual contamination. You got to wash your hands of religious acts and religious pretense and, you know, using the right language and, and wearing the right clothes and saying the amen at the right time. Get rid of that because God doesn't care what's on the outside. God's blind. God has no eyes. He can't see how good you look on the outside. But he sees exactly who you are on the inside. He sees your heart. He knows every prayer you've ever uttered. He knows every request for help. He knows your desperate need of him. And when you utter that, when you speak that to him, he hears it loud and clear. That's the person he sees, not the outside. Always the inside. Second thing I want you to look at today, you need to use proper spiritual hygiene if you're going to walk through this world and not be contaminated by this spiritual pandemic that's going on around us. Philippians 3, 7. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered it to be lost because of Christ. More than that, I also considered everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Think about that. Everything I thought was important, I've let go of it. Paul says, I was a Pharisee, top of the pecking order. What did he do? He threw it away. I was respected by all the Jewish elders. What did he do? He proclaimed Christ and threw all that away. I was born a, a tribe of the tribe of Benjamin. I was born a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm actually a Roman citizen. All of that is so important in the world, and he throws it away. Why? For the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ, for knowing who Christ is. What would we give up in order to have a better walk with God? Would we take the scorn of our friends? People make jokes about us because we go to church, because we have faith in the Bible. Uh, you know, people at school oftentimes pick on Christians as being ignorant, or as being backward, because they believe stories that were written thousands of years ago. Is it worth it to have them consider us foolish in order for us to know that we are right? Think about it. Our friends go out and do what they do, and they party all night long. That's why we have COVID on our campus. These kids go out, and they get drunk, and they party, and they throw these wild things, and they come back in the next day. They're COVID positive. They shut down the entire frat sorority row. Everything was shut down. Why? Four, four campus Groups threw parties, and everybody got infected, all of them. Think about it. Is it worth it for one night to go out and act stupid if you're going to pay the price and everybody else pays the price for two more weeks? That's crazy. He says this, Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one, that I, 
but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul says, if I can just stand with Christ in the end of days, losing all this is worth it. Let me ask you a question. What would you be willing to give up if it meant you were a closer follower of Christ? What's the thing you prize most in the world? If you're a grown man and you want to go home, you better say your wife and children. Amen? Some of you ain't going home. All right. What is it that you prize above all things? What do you look after? Is it your reputation? Is it your possessions? Is it the things that you've got or the things that you hope to acquire? Is it your bank account? Is it your reputation in the community? What is it that you prize so much? And if I ask you, would you be willing to give that thing up for Jesus Christ? Would you do it? That's the question. Now, God never asks us to give up our wives. Amen. He never says, turn your back on your children. Let your children suffer. Let your children go in need or in want. He calls us together to serve him. And that's why he gives us a wife and he gives us children because that's the blessings from God. Amen. Okay. So, but what is it that we are afraid of losing? Are you afraid of losing a business? Are you afraid of losing um, some sort of possession or some sort of place in your family? I've known men who in following Jesus Christ had their families throw them out. And these were wealthy families. These were families who had a lot of money. And they were saying, well, we can't have one of you in the family. And, and this, this particular gentleman I'm thinking of looked at his father and said, what do you mean someone like me? Well, you know, a lunatic. You're a lunatic, son. You've lost your mind. And he turned his back on that money, that family, that wealth, that fame, that, that, that family name. Turned his back on it to be a follower of Christ. Would we do that? Are we willing to cut off those things in our life which get in the way of us following Jesus? And I, I was looking at this week and I'm going, wow, this is it. He says, I will give up everything so that I can be made like Jesus even in the moment of his death. So that I will stand with him in the resurrection. Now y'all realize the end of the world's coming. It may be this year, it may be five years, 20 years, 100 years, 150 years, whatever it is, God's got a timetable. That end is coming. That judgment is coming. And when you stand up there, God's going to look at you. He's not going to care how much money you made in your lifetime. He's not going to care how many houses you owned. He's not going to care how many trucks you had. I'm picking up people. He's not going to care how many boats you had. He's not going to care about what school your children went to. Well, my kid went to A&M. My kid went to UT. You know, my kid went to wherever. He's not going to ask about any of these. What did you ever do for Jesus Christ? What did you ever do for my son? That's what God's going to ask you. What did you do with the salvation I gave you? That's what we have to answer. And anything that gets in the way of that has to be gotten rid of. You know, in my family, I'm the only, I'm the only gypsy there is. And I said that to my niece the other day, and she didn't understand me. I said, you know, her mom had just passed on, and I said, I'm so sorry that I haven't been there for you because I'm, I'm the family gypsy. You know, I'm, I've been all over the world and all over the country, but I'm never in one place for one time. 
and I felt like I had not been there for her growing up. This is my niece. And I said, I'm sorry I've been the family gypsy. She says, it's okay. It's all right. You've always come back at the right time. And I appreciated that. But I haven't. I haven't always been there for my family because I have been all over this country and the world. You know, the six and a half years I spent in Taiwan, I didn't come back for those years. Missionaries come back every four years. I didn't come back. You know, the times I've spent in other countries, I mean, other, other, other states, Montana or Washington State or California or North Carolina, I didn't go back during those times. If I was at that church, I was at that church. That's where I was. But I don't regret anything I've done in my life because whatever I lost out on by not being with my family all the time, not living next to them. See, my family all lives either together in Michigan or together in Texas. They're always together. I'm the only wandering Jew that goes all over the place. And it feels weird sometimes to know that I've missed so much of my family's life. And now that they're beginning to pass, I realize I've missed so much time with that. But I wouldn't go back. I would not go back and undo anything I've done because everything I've done is because God led me through a door and that door put me where I was. And that's where God had me, amen? amen? I may have given up time with my family and my nephews and my nieces, and I may never get that back. Heck, this week I found out that my, my aunt passed away, and no one even told me. And um, I called up my, my cousin. I said, I'm sorry, man. I, di I didn't know she died. He said, it's okay. It's all right. And, you know, she understood but not everyone understands that when you are a believer, when you are a Christian, sometimes God calls you away from comfort. He calls you away from those things that are comfortable, those things that are familiar. And he puts you in a strange place with strange people. But you know what? I would not want to be anywhere else other than where I am right now. Because this is where God put me. This is where God brought you. He brought us together for that reason. And that leads me to my last point. If you are going to survive a spiritual pandemic, and people hear me clearly, hear me. You, may, you need to maintain very close spiritual connections with healthy people. Not everybody that we know, not everybody in our families, not everybody in our circle of friends is healthy in a spiritual way. Amen? Now stop and think about your people. I can point to the people around me who are healthy in a spiritual capacity. And I can look at people that I love dearly who are very sick in a spiritual capacity. Whether they are atheists, agnostics, whether they have some very strange ideas about aliens or, or where we all came from. I love them because they're family. But when I go talk to somebody that I want to talk to about the things of God, I would call Glenn and Harpy. I'd call Doug. I'd call Derek. I'd call Gary. Say, Gary, come sit and talk to me. I know who I can talk to. This is what he says. Philippians 3.12. Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already fully mature. Paul says, I'm not mature yet. I'm not what I'm supposed to be. Paul knew he had issues. And I've said it before. He says, things that I want to do, I can't get myself to do it. Things I don't want to do, I do it. I look back in my life and my temper 
has shot me down more than once. When you're Irish on one side and Cherokee on the other, what choice do you have? I'm serious. My temper has gotten the better of me more than once. So I have to watch that rascal because he'll rise up and bite you. I am not already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have taken hold of Christ. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken full control, he says, of that spiritual walk. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I am. <clears throat> Excuse me. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you also. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Wherever you're at in your Christian walk, whatever you fully understand from the word of God, hang on to that. There may be some areas where you and I can talk and I might say some things and you might go, whoa, I'm not there yet. I don't fully understand that. That's cool. You keep pressing in on those issues and you'll get to where we're, we're, we're looking at each other eye to eye. Sometimes the scripture says things and you may go, that's crazy. How can the Bible say that? I don't understand how the word of God can say something so harsh. You know, people ask me questions they shouldn't ask me. People who are 19 and 20 ask me questions that they should not ask me. They say, you're a pastor, right? Yes. Can I ask you a question? Be sure you want the answer before you ask the question. Do you know what I mean? People should not ask grown believers questions that they don't want answers to. That they don't want answers to. Here's the thing. You can ask me something simple, or you can ask me something complicated. When you ask me something about the Word of God, I have no choice but to tell you what it says. I have no choice but to state, this is what the Bible says about that relationship, or that relationship, or this type of behavior, or that type of behavior. Someone once asked me, when you're young, can you do these things even though you know they're bad? And I go, do you really want an answer to that? And they go, yes. I said, well, according to the word of God, no. You're supposed to know better. The very fact that you ask me shows me that you know better. You're looking for someone to give you permission to do what you know not to do. And that happens all the time on a college campus. College students are looking to push the boundaries, and a lot of parents are too weak to set boundaries for them. Amen? So here's the thing. You need to surround yourself with people who are on the beam spiritually. You may not like those people all the time because they are killjoys in, in your way of thinking. But they are the ones who will give you an honest answer. He says this. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think in this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Now join in imitating me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. Let me translate that. Inasmuch as you see me living out Jesus Christ, do the same thing. Now, if we're all flawed and we all have problems, and if you know up front that one of my issues is I, I, have, a, I have an itchy trigger on my, on my temper, if you know that, 
then you know from my confession that is not a good thing. So don't imitate that in me. Don't imitate that quick reflex. But if as much as you see me studying the word of God or praying for God's guidance or praying for those who are lost or, or saying to people, there's only one way, one truth, one life, only one way to get to the Father. Imitate that. He said, imitate us in the things that we do that are like Christ. Can you say to people, hey, you want to know how it is to be a Christian? Look at some of the things I do. Let me tell you what I do. And then you imitate that. We need to be examples. Remember, kids never do what we say, but they always do what we do. I told you that one last week. Kids never do what we say. They always do what we do. So we have to limit ourselves to a pattern of behavior that is consistent with what we're trying to teach our kids. I, I have a pair of friends of mine, and we've known them for centuries. And we went over the other night to their house, and, and they offered us a glass of wine. And I said, no, thanks. You know, I don't drink because people who have tempers should never drink because, seriously, Cherokee, Irish, wow, no, I don't drink for that reason. I am not a good, I'm not a good drunk, no. He often said, I said, but hey, I didn't know that you guys drank. He said, well, when our daughter was home, when, she, when their daughter just, you know, just left and, and went off to college, when our daughter left to go off to college, we knew it was okay for us to do this again because now she has grown up, she has, she's making her own decisions. When she was little, we set an example for them of how we wanted her to behave. And I thought that was kind of cool. They, they voluntarily limited themselves for the sake of, of their daughter. And she turned out pretty good, too. She went into the military. She flies um, assault helicopters. You gotta love people to do that. But that was the decision they make at that time. And now they make a more adult decision for themselves because they're no longer parents. They're, they're a couple again. So you see, that's the kind of decisions we have to make. And that's the people we want around us. Keep going. For I have often told you and now say with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Think about that. He says, to, with tears in my eyes, I'm telling you, people that I have talked with, people that I have worked with, are now the enemies of Christ. They are the enemies of Christ because they focus on the world and they focus on worldly things and they focus on their own appetites. I have friends you know, that, that served in the military and, and they did their 20 and they got out and I, I had a chance to work with them when I was pastoring that church. And I will tell you something, those men are good men. They are faithful men. They serve this country. They are faithful to their wives, but they are enemies of Christ. They are firmly committed to the idea that there is no God, that there is no afterlife, that there cannot be anything after this life. They are my friends, and I love them. And when I think about them, I, I cry, because I know they have no hope. They have served this country. They, they gave up everything for this country. Yet I look at them and I see their own desires eating them alive from the inside. You know what I'm talking about. You know who those people are. They're in your life. They're family, they're friends, they're co-workers. 
I believe more so now than I ever have that our time is getting short. And what does that mean? That means we have to be active in the things of God. We have to be active in seeking after that which is lost. Consider this, Luke 9, 47, Luke 9, 57. As we were going down the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So the guy went away. What? If I follow you, I'm not going to have a, a house and a land and, and possessions and all of this stuff. It's not what Jesus said. He said, I don't have anything to give you if you come follow me. Oftentimes, disciples in the first century would follow a wealthy teacher because they wanted to learn from him to gain that wealth for themselves. But for Jesus to say, I don't have anywhere to live. I have no home. I have nothing. No family. They, they didn't want to follow him anymore because they couldn't gain anything from him. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. If his father was dead, the guy wouldn't be there. If his father was already dead, he would be burying the body, preparing it, and sitting Shiva. Shiva is a, an observance for the dead that goes on a number of days after the death itself. He wouldn't be there if his father was dead. He said, let me go and wait for my father to die. Then when my father dies, then I can follow you. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Don't wait for this to happen and this to happen, for you to be faithful to me. Go and do it now. Do it now while there is time. See, the guy said, let me go bury my dad. To us, that sounds reasonable, but Jesus knew it was an excuse. Let me put off serving you until I have nothing more to lose. Let me, let me, let me do everything I need to do in this life, and then I'll worry about you, Jesus. Jesus says, no, let the dead bury the dead. You go serve me now, now in this moment. He says this, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Here's another excuse. Let me go tie up some family issues. I got to go visit my cousin. I got to go see my, my third wife seven times removed. I got to do all these things, Lord. No, no, he says. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Once you begin the walk with Christ, nothing else can take preeminence in your life. And that is a tough thing to handle. When you said I do to your wife, you knew that was for life, right? You knew that was for life. Once you start down that marital road, it is very important that you finish the road. There are times, there are situations, there are things that happen that cause people to split up. And sometimes very good things. I've known some friends of mine who got into very bad relationships. And the relationship went very dangerous and they got out. And I said, praise God, they got out. Nicole's friend just went through a situation where she was dating a guy and, and the more she found out about this guy, the more dangerous he became and the more she doubted her own safety. So she got out of the relationship. That makes sense. But by and large, when you start down the road, 
you know, 50 some years down the road, you want to look across and there's that same person that you started the road with. That same relationship. I know I talk a lot about marriage, but there is no better example for the Christian life than a marriage. Because a marriage, when you say, I do, you better do. Because there's, there's meant to be a, a partnership through life. It's meant to take you through that walk. Are there always going to be good days? No. Are there going to be fights? Yeah. Is it going to get rough? Yeah. Are there going to be times when you wish you weren't there? Yeah. But you know what? On the other side of that day is all the love and all the grace and all the mercy that brought you together in the first place. Amen. Amen. Sometimes you get that little itch in the back of your neck and 10 o'clock at night and you want to run. But when you get up the next day and you're still there, that itch is gone, honey. And everything that you had is still there. And all you can do is look at her or look at him, say, praise God from whom all blessings flow, and go back to the work of being married. That's how you get through 40, 50, 60, 70 years of marriage. Because you put your nose to the grindstone and you work it out between you and that person and the Lord God who stands in the middle. Amen. If we're going to get through the pandemic of apathy, the pandemic of compromise, the pandemic of let's make a church that fits all my needs and then I'll be happy. No, if we're going to do that, first of all, wash your hands of all that spiritual contamination, all those lies, all those stories. You have to be this. You have to be this. You have to be that. Get rid of that and get right down to what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Then you need to maintain that spiritual hygiene. You need to keep yourself clean by keeping yourself focused on who Jesus is. Not on what you lost, but on what you gained. Gentlemen, when you said I do to that woman, you hopefully took that little black telephone book. That's, that's how big mine was. Huge. You got to throw that rascal away. You know why? You don't need it anymore. You don't need that book anymore because now you set your life in a different direction. That's what he's talking about here. Everything I consider to be gained, I've thrown it away. The only thing I'm left with is Jesus Christ. And is that enough? Yes, it's enough. He is enough. For all of the things that you think you've lost, you've gained tenfold what you thought you lost. Last thing, surround yourself with healthy people. People who understand who Jesus is. People who read the word. People who can understand and explain the word. That's why we come to church. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. And if you don't know that, if you're around people who are butter, butter just slides all over you. Butter's nice and it goes good on bread, but butter doesn't do anything to you other than fatten up the outside. When you take a steel implement and you drag it across iron, it sharpens it. It, it nicks away some of the useless stuff and it sharpens it down to a point where it's useful. A true Christian friend will not let you get away with nonsense. A true Christian friend will question you when you start making those, those irrational decisions. They'll pull you back in instead of letting you go out. Do you see why this chapter is so important? You've got to surround yourself with the right people because if you surround yourself with the wrong people, You'll be asleep in the light like the Laodicea in church. You will just be happy to be saved and you'll let everything else go and you'll get to the end of your life and figure out that you've done nothing 
with all that God gave you. You can spend your whole life accumulating stuff, or you can spend your whole life serving the God of heaven who would put your life to work. Amen?